This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm not a one in a million kind of girl. I'm a once in a lifetime kind of woman. Like I was saying, I was just dumbfounded that people were running a hundred miles and not just like a hundred miles on pavement where it's nice, smooth and buttery, but on trails in the mountains at altitude without sleeping. And I was just like, I thought I was a superhero doing a marathon. These, these bitches are out here. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing, but I was immediately intrigued because like I said, growing up, I loved being outside. I loved being in the dirt. And then it felt two of my loves were combining together, running and being outside. Like, of course I had to learn more. I did my first 50 mile race, which wasn't on trail. And then shortly after that signed up for hundred mile. I do that. And then that's where I thought it really stopped. Like I thought marathon was already stopped and then 100 mile and I was like, okay, that's as far as the, the body goes. And then I find out about the Tahoe 200 miler. I'm Doc and this is Hacker Trash Radio. Hey, is this thing on? Hello? Hit it again. I think it's on now. <clears throat> Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio where each week Doc will drag some colorful characters out of the woods to talk trail and type two fun. If you're aspiring hiker trash, or if you're just looking to understand the hiker trash in your life, look no further. So lace up those boots, gnaw on some jerky, and settle into your 20-mile pace as we fire up the podcast from somewhere deep in the backcountry. It's time to embrace the suck. We are stoked to partner with Garage Grown Gear on this episode of Hiker Trash Radio. Garage Grown Gear, or GGG for short, is your online store for all things ultralight backpacking. Dedicated to supporting the growth of small and cottage brands, they've got everything you need all in one place. From ultralight accessories to dehydrated meals to your big three, Garage Grown Gear has everything you need to lighten your load. Based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, GGG is known for its commitment to providing quality ultralight gear, stellar customer service, and free shipping and returns over $40. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags, hiker trash, and of course, good smelling day hikers. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. 
Hey, if you like what we're doing here, help us out. Take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like what we're doing, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest who has an incredible story to share. It is my pleasure to welcome to Hiker Trash Radio endurance athlete Callie Vincent. How's it going, Callie? Hi, going pretty well. Just surviving the the Phoenix heat here. (laughs) Yes, surviving the Phoenix heat. And tell us what you did this morning. Yeah, so I did a casual uh, three-hour training run, (laughs) which came out to a little over 15 miles. So pretty normal stuff here on a Saturday. And what is the current temperature in Phoenix? I just checked and it's 107. I know. (laughs) It's September. What's going on? (laughs) That makes me sweat just hearing about that. I it's I know when people say it's a dry heat, it's still no, 107 still counts. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Now there is a peculiar phenomenon with uh, the hiking community where people are assigned trail names based on maybe where they're from, something funny that happens on the trail, some kind of peculiar personality trait that the person has. Similar phenomena in trail running or endurance running? I I would say it's definitely not as prevalent as it is in the hiking community, especially long distance hiking community, but you will pick up a nickname the more you do these low key trail events or the more you're into uh, your trail running group that might meet together twice a week. But I was lucky enough to pick up a a trail running name back in Chicago. People started calling me mama because I was always taking care of everyone. I was always worried about everyone eating or if everyone's safe and everyone's fueling, I would most likely have treats in the back of my car waiting for everyone to get back from the trail to the trailhead. Usually homemade Pop-Tarts. That was my jam. Uh, Sometimes cookies that are about the size of your face. Literally, they weighed about nine ounces each. And so I I picked up that name because I was always taking care of everybody else. Even if I had a broken leg, I'd still be worried about everyone else's safety and well-being. Wow. There's a lot to unpack right there. First of all, we we usually go by by trail names here on the podcast, but I don't know. I'm going to feel weird calling you mama. Maybe I'll I'll work that in a couple of times, but I might go by Callie mostly. That's okay with me too. (laughs) All right. And tell me about homemade Pop-Tarts. Oh man. Ever since I was a kid, I've always loved cooking. I've always loved baking. When I was young enough to like cook on my own, I would pretend to have my own cooking show in the kitchen. And it would be a cooking show revolved around putting a tortilla with like tomato sauce and cheese in the microwave and calling that like a pizza roll up. And that would be my cooking show. Still, I would talk out loud to people. So my love for cooking has gone way back, but the more I got into it growing up, the more I started to, I don't know, make remake things that I've always loved. So I've always loved pop tarts as a kid. There was one time where I remade the Big Mac because I was just curious what that was like. But I got into making pop tarts because I was just curious if I could make it better or if I could make it more unique or, or different than what you'd get from the actual pop tart in a grocery store. And I would host these group runs called Trails and Tarts. And at the end of it, I would have coffee and Pop-Tarts waiting for everybody because I love to bake, but I more so just love to feed people. So it was a win for me. Nice. And as we're talking here today, I noticed you have a guest behind you on the bed there. I do. (laughs) That's Cloudy Brown. He's uh, 14 and a half years old. He's my rescue. I got him when I was, oh gosh, 22 years old. And so, yeah, he's 14 and a half now. Still does great. Still runs, goes on 45 minute walks, still takes naps like he does right is doing right now. And he did as a puppy, but he's, he just can't hear as well as he used to, but otherwise he's still kicking it. His favorite game is chasing the laser pointer too. (laughs) (laughs) I like the name cloudy Brown. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) that's such a shameful origin story there. He was named after a jello shot in college (laughs) because there was one weekend where a bunch of us who always hung out, we were wanting to make jello shots, but we only had the scraps of whatever was left in the bottom of bottles. So we made a literal cloudy brown consistency uh, colored jello shot, and that was the name of it. And then the very next weekend, I rescued him from a humane society down by Savannah, Georgia, where I was in college. Um, and we were all sitting in the room, and we were like, oh, what are we going to name him? And I was like, well, what about cloudy brown? 
<laughs> and it stuck. <laughs> so nice. it's cloudy for short. Nice. That might be the trail name for the episode. I'm always on the lookout for something unusual that we talk about in the episode to name the episode. So you know, Cloudy Brown and there you go. and Callie Vinson. <laughs> yeah. Okay. CB and CB. That's right. Now, I was going to say mama, but I, I, I just can't do it. I just, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. Callie. Callie, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before? I did. I, as soon as you emailed me, I was like, let me just give this a little listen. And I got, I'm so bad at listening to music and podcasts now because it's so hot in the desert. And that means being aware of rattlesnakes. So I would listen and then I had to stop because I would hear something. And I would listen and I'd stop and hear something. So I got little tidbits. So okay. If the- All right. So you know what's in store for you today. I do. A <laughs> little bit, a little bit. Hey, there is a segment towards the end of the episode called the Hiking Hack, and that's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom, whether it's hiking trails or running trails or even just you know, your experience as an athlete. Share some of your wisdom with our listeners to make the next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. Okay. Okay. Trailblazers Toolkit. That's right, Callie. It's time for the Trailblazers Toolkit, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. I love to talk about gear on the podcast, and I love to hear about the most important item in my guest adventure gear. So, Callie, if you were preparing for your next adventure, and I was the one providing you with all your gear, what is the one specific piece of gear you'd insist on being packed? Give me all the specifics on that, t- on that piece of gear and tell me why you've got to have it out there. And this can be any kind of item. It could be gear, apparel, luxury item. So, Callie, what is that item in your toolkit? Oh man, I guess for me, so I've been getting into the 200 mile distance lately, which means a lot of night times. And so the one key piece of gear for me is a good solid light system because you, your goal is to make the night feel like day. You want it to feel like you can see everything, like you're safe, where you're going to step, especially if it's on a very technical trail. And lately I've been getting into the waist lamp belts. And it's funny because I actually have an Ultra Aspire waist lamp belt that I love. And I wore it for the Moab 240. I wore it for the Cocodona 250. And I'm uh, attempting a 250 mile FKT attempt this November. And that's definitely a, a piece of gear that I, I can't be without. But then my recent gear that I've gotten into, and this is for the ladies, is the it's called a Kula cloth. <laughs> and my boyfriend calls it the coochie napkin, but it's essentially a reusable, a earth-friendly cloth that you can attach to your pack that you can use after you go pee specifically. And when you're done, you wipe and then you can wash in a river or a creek or whatever and reuse it, especially if you're doing these long hikes. You don't want to be keeping up with all this toilet paper or whatever. So that's been a, another key piece where I'm happy to say I'm trying to be a more earth-friendly runner. So that's something that I have invested in and love it. Yeah, Kula Cloth, we've talked about before. The Coochie Napkin, I feel like that's a knockoff brand. Yeah, no. It's a little less expensive. You find it on the, yeah, you know, the, the, the side aisle over there. Yeah, it's not as elevated, so That's right. I, I get it. <laughs> That's right. Maybe I can get a sponsorship for the podcast from the Coochie Napkin. I'll reach out. I'll reach out. Yeah. Yep. And you know what? This is the first time, and I've talked to a lot of people on the podcast. This is like episode 300 and something. So I've mm-hmm. talked to a lot of people, uh, a lot of through hikers, a lot of other types of athletes, endurance athletes, long-distance runners. This is the first time I've heard about a well a waist belt lamp. I'm, I'm familiar with the headlamps, but I've, I've yeah. never heard of a, of a waist belt lamp. That makes total oh, sense. Oh, my goodness. Though. makes total it, sense. It, it changed the game for me because if when you have a light up here, your depth of field, it's not, it's just very shallow. But when you have something that's lower to the ground, you're extending the the lengths of the shadows. So you're, there's more depth to what you're seeing. So it, it helps me and, and that I can see now like the little divots in a trail or the rocks. And it's also nice because I don't know when there's something that bright close to my eyes, it just makes it a little bit harder to see. You feel like you're getting tunnel vision, but something that's a little bit lower to the ground, is just sits around your waist and I get headaches very easily. So the more things I have just like tight around my head, it, it hurts after a while, especially if you're going night after night. So I've, I've found that the waste light system works really well. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Hey, let's, let's keep talking about some, uh, usually I talk about gear in this next section as well, but you, are you a hiker or you're endurance athlete, trail runner, long distance running, right? 
I would say, yeah, say long distance running, though, with these 200 mile races, you do a lot of hiking. I would say when I did the Moab 240 endurance race, I probably hiked 80% of that. You're running when it's just absolutely lovely to run, smooth, flat. But if it's even slightly downhill, slightly uphill, you're reserving those energy stores and just you're hiking. I do a lot of hiking here because there's just so much to explore in Arizona. And so when I'm not training for a race specifically, I take those opportunities to to hike, especially when it's cooler. Right now it's it's not so lovely, yeah. but when it's cooler and around Arizona, it's, it's really nice. Okay. Hey, let me play the intro to this next segment and then I'll explain what it's all about. Okay. <laughs> it's the hiking pole. It's the hiking pole and that's pole spelled with two L's, like a survey, not like the thing you hold in your hands out there on the trail. I like to point that out every time to my guests because I think I'm pretty clever for coming up with that and their reaction is pretty much yours, just a blank stare saying, okay, that's not so clever. But this is a seven-question survey that's going to help me give you a score on the sanity scale with one being completely insane and 100 being completely sane. Now, anybody who's doing 200-mile ultras out there, it's an automatic 25-point deduction. So your highest possible score today is 75. Okay. Fair? Fair. Fair. Okay. Now, I have three sets of questions. Two two of the sets of questions have to do with hiking, have to do with stuff on the trail, sleep systems, food systems, that kind of stuff. I am not sure if that's going to apply to what you're doing out there. So I'm going to go with the third set of questions, which mm-hmm. really has to do with some of the big issues facing our society today. All right. And so this is not rapid fire. This is, I'm going to ask you the question. I want you to give me your answer and I want you to give me backup for why you feel this particular uh, way about the question. That'll help me with my algorithm and scoring your answers. Okay. You ready for this? Yes. A bit nervous? No. No? Okay. Cool customer here. All right, Callie. First question. Big issues facing our society. Do you sleep with your socks on? (laughs) Oh man. So I wait, like on a regular basis or like when I'm out on the trail on a regular basis. Oh, heck no. No. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say when I'm out on the trail, I usually keep them on just so they don't have to worry about putting them back on the next morning, but no, in a bed. No. (laughs) Okay. All right. Question number two, does pineapple belong on pizza? Hell no. And I've had this debate this heated debate with my uh, running friends many times. No, absolutely not. And tell me, you mean, you've had this debate. What are, what are the arguments in your favor on this? For me, I, I just, I don't like mixing fruits with breads, like fruity things with breads, raisins, cookies out, blueberries and muffins out. <laughs> so pineapple on something that's very salty and savory. I just can't hack it. Can't. Mm. Okay, I've heard a lot of arguments for and against. This is the first time that somebody's really taken a hard stand on fruits and breads. <laughs> That's unusual. Okay. Yeah. Question number three. Do you roll your toilet paper over or under? Over. Why? Definitely. Why? I don't know why. I think I've just, I, I've always seen the meme of the toilet paper that goes over like a mullet and then the under, it's just like, where did it go? I don't <laughs> I don't I have to see it. <laughs> like a mullet. Audi Brown's not too keen on that answer. <laughs> he he is interested right now. What's going he, on? Yeah. Up, came up from a, a very deep nap. Okay, now do you feel very strongly about this position, rolling it over? I do. I think I do. So if you end up at a friend's house at a party or something and you use the bathroom. I will take it off and I will turn around. <laughs> I've done this before. <laughs> And it's funny because you do it and you're like, I was the hero in this situation, (laughs) but you're really not. (laughs) But I feel like I did a good thing. If you were on the trail, your trail name today would be TP Hero. That Mm. uh, that really works for me. Saving the day. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Question number four. Uh, Do you use the Oxford comma? No, I do not. You do not. It just gets in the way. And it's funny because I'm a writer by trade, a copywriter in advertising. And it's some it's so funny because some brands that I write for, they're for it. And so you have to write it because that's their brand voice. And some brands are like, absolutely not. And so you're like, yep, that's your brand voice. So I will not put that in there. It's just extra. It's, you don't need it. 
Actually, the and does the job is what you're saying. The and is covering the pause. You don't need the comma to say, oh, yeah, just in case you didn't see this and after this pause, because you, you, you read it. The eyes see it. They know what's up. So with the comma and the and, is that like a double pause? Like it's too much. It's too much. It's too extra. <laughs> I'm happy I'm talking to a copywriter. That's great. <laughs> I was an English teacher. so. Oh, good. that's so funny. Yeah. yeah, I'm a copywriter still. <laughs> okay. Question number five, is a hot dog a sandwich? Hmm. I I don't know about this. I feel like a sandwich needs to be open on all sides. It's got to let the, it's got to let the fillings breathe 360. I feel like, I don't know, maybe a, a hot dog is, it's its own thing. It's its own. You can't compare it to anything else. I was just going to say, is it like an open face burrito? But I don't think that's the same thing either. So <laughs> that's making it too fancy, <laughs> an open face burrito. So, so from what I'm hearing, you're saying because the hot dog bun has, it's hinged, right? It has a hinge on it. That kind it of does. disqualifies it from being a sandwich. It doesn't let it breathe. It doesn't let all the, the filling breathe. Okay. Then a corollary question. Is a hoagie a sandwich? Wait, is that open on all sides? But it has, it's hinged like the hot dog no. bun. No. No. Mm-mm. No, okay. Let me, let me make a note on that one. <laughs> Very <laughs> important. All right. <laughs> Question number six. Netflix, Netflix or YouTube? It's funny because I use them for different purposes. Usually I go to Netflix because I don't know what I want to watch. And I'll go to YouTube because I know what I want to watch. And then it curates things I might want to watch afterwards for me. Whereas Netflix, it's like you're going on a mission and you better be prepared for that mission because it's going to take a while for you to find what you you want. If you don't know what you want, that's why I like to just go with those for different purposes. And usually YouTube I use for music. I'll listen to live sets or have something in the background while I'm on the couch writing or something. So usually Netflix is, is... more so I, I'm going to pay attention to this and YouTube generally not too much. Yeah. It does not seem out of the norm for me to sit down on one evening and scroll through Netflix and spend an hour and a half watching trailers, skimming through stuff and end up not watching anything. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've done that before where you're just, you're just going on a yeah a trailers tour <laughs> and that's, that's where it ends. Also, I like, if you're going to, watch something while you're eating i like to not go on that tour because then your food's going to get cold by the time you get to it because you've gone on this long adventure that you didn't want to go on you just wanted to find something to watch and it's just too much (laughs) okay question number seven last question in the hiking poll what is the more useful uh superpower what is the better superpower invisibility or flying ever since i was a kid i've always had dreams about flying i've never had dreams about being invisible. So I'm going to say flying is probably better. It just gives you more freedom to move. And I think that's been a theme for my life is just wanting this freedom to move wherever I want to go, want to travel, want to explore. So being able to do it from the air or from wherever with that. Stay tuned for just a little bit here. I need to do some math. And since I was an English teacher, this is pretty complicated for me. Mm -hmm. I said, I've got to carry the three going to multiply by root five, divide by pi, of course. And then I'm going to make a slight adjustment for the total number of lumens of your waist belt light. 100. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I come up with a score of 47. Ooh. Okay. All right. I'll take it. Yeah. 47. So you're you're a little bit closer to insane than you are sane. That sounds about right. That seems (laughs) on brand. (laughs) (laughs) On brand. Okay. (laughs) Hey, before we get too far down the trail, Callie, let's back up a little bit. Let's hear about your background, where you grew up, what kinds of sports and hobbies were you involved in as a kid, and how did you get involved in this long-distance running cult? Yeah, so I grew up in Florida, Orlando specifically. My dad worked for Disney for 20 years, so that's where my family was. And I was always outside as a kid. I was always barefoot, getting my feet dirty, running around, being told to get back inside, and I need to take a bath or something. But as a kid, I always... I was always into sports. I played soccer, but I was the goalie because I hated running and 
if you're the goalie, you just stand in the back and you kick the ball and you, you, you block it. And then when I went to high school, then I got into rowing. Um, and I love that because you're in a boat, so you're also not running, but I knew that I had strong legs and I was like, Oh, this is, I could put that skill to work or that strength to work. And I, I love being on the water. I've grown up in Florida. You just, I don't know, water sports are endless basically. And it was when I moved from, from Orlando to art school in Savannah, Georgia, that I completely dropped sports, being active, healthy lifestyle altogether, but just fell off and went down this rabbit hole of a very unhealthy lifestyle, gained a ton of weight and then got an internship in Chicago. So then I moved to Chicago, continued that lifestyle. And I moved to Chicago because I had all these big dreams and quickly realized I couldn't really go after them because I was limiting my own self. And so I decided I've got to make a change. And before that, of course, I, I've tried everything. I tried fad diets. I've tried extreme measures to try and lose weight or fit this I don't know, lifestyle that I wanted, but nothing stuck. And so I just started with these tiny habits, like making my breakfast every day. And once I did that for two weeks, I moved on to making my lunch. And once I did that, then I was like, okay, I could do dinner. And then eventually got a gym membership and started working out. And then I picked up running because for so long, for my entire life, I've always hated running. And I realized, or I decided if I could conquer running, I feel like I could conquer anything. And so that became my mission. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out running. I'm going to learn to love it somehow, some way. And so I started with running around the block, just trying to do that. And then running two blocks, a mile, two miles. And it slowly progressed to, okay, I can do six. I can do a half marathon. I did a half marathon just on my own on a whim one day. And started to love running because it let me get to places that not a lot of people could get to on their own feet. And that became this aha moment for me where I I felt like I was now unlimited. And for so long in my life, I'd been so limited. And so I built my career in Chicago and was figuring it out and and, uh, figuring myself out. And then I got this opportunity to move to Arizona And it felt like everything was coming together. Oh my gosh, this passion for running, this passion for being outside, it's all coming back. And I have this opportunity to go to Arizona where I felt like the Southwest is like the Mecca for all that. And so I jumped on the opportunity and got into the trail running community here. And I'd already done a hundred miler and a 50 mile ultra marathon in Chicago, but I felt like I truly got into that kind of sport when I got to Arizona where it's just part of the community almost it's part of the trail running community and yeah now here i am having done a 240 mile ultra marathon and training for my next 250 mile attempt wow that's quite a story now tell us how you went from art school to you're now a copywriter Mm -hmm. so how, how does that translate so i went to art school to get a degree in advertising design but there was one professor who I'd been in his classes and one day he was like, you know what? I think you might actually be a copywriter. And I was like, okay. So I started to just dive into that more in college and and learn more about it. And then once I got my bachelor of fine arts, I decided to stay around another year to get my master of arts in copywriting just so that I could learn even more about that. And it was the first year of the program. I went to Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah, and I was the one of two students who were in this program. And our classes were, I don't know, like two hours long. So it was just this very deep dive one year program of just learning everything about copywriting. And what I love about copywriting and or just advertising in general, it's it's this wonderful blend of art and human psychology. And I've always been so fascinated with how people work and how people think and uh, act and, and behave. And it, it they just go together so well because that's what advertising is, learning human behavior, learning what makes people care, what makes people think, what makes them act or react. And you're blending those two worlds together in a very creative way. I don't know. Okay. I got into advertising and I loved it. Yeah. And I still work for the ad agency that I worked for in Chicago. I'm just, I'm now remote. So in advertising and, or for that ad agency now, but in Arizona. Okay, but now, now I'm the associate creative director now, but with the copy background. Sounds like you're a muckety muck. Nah. Nah. <laughs> No. Now, was that the art instructor's w- polite way of saying you're not very good at art? Like you're, you're a copywriter? Probably. <laughs> Probably. I think I have 
good taste in art. I just can't connect what I want to how do I get to that, which makes for a great creative director. You have good taste in one thing, but you have a strength in another, or maybe you strengthen both. But nowadays I've learned a lot more about the art direction side, of course, just having been in the business for 13 years now, and also now being quote content creator, as people call it, you just pick up that that eye or the craftsmanship that t- that is needed to create, I don't know, videos or photos or the whole shebang that an art director would do. Yeah, I've got the utmost respect for painters, artists, sculptors, musicians, because I can't mm-hmm. do any of that. I can barely play the radio. So, yeah. No, yeah, that's that takes skill. <laughs> Being a DJ, a, a car, car DJ is, is hard. <laughs> All right, so... You had this opportunity in Arizona. What was the opportunity exactly? I know you had the, the ability to maybe work remote doing the same job, but mm-hmm. was there something else calling you to Arizona other than it was a Mecca for running? So the opportunity was a friend. She was going somewhere else for a residency and had this apartment to give up. And I was like, I'll take it. So that's how I got here. But my willingness to come here within two weeks of finding out that I could (laughs) with my bags very quickly packed uh, was just because of the outdoors. I knew that there was so much to do in Arizona um, from like Sedona or the McDowell Mountain, which is right over here, the Superstition Mountains, the Grand Canyon, Page, Arizona. There's just endless places to explore and such a wonderful trail community, which I'd only heard of prior to moving here. And I had a couple acquaintances here, but I didn't know anyone really before I moved here. I just knew that I wanted to be where the outdoors was. Okay. And this was kind of entry. And now I've been here for a little, like two and a half years. No longer two and a half years. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to pay some bills hear from the advertisers. And when we come back, we're going to get into a little more depth on your weight gain and loss journey. And then also this transition to running and running further and further. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. And welcome back. We're talking to Callie Vinson. 
aka Mama, although you won't hear me use that too often today. And we just heard about her background, where she grew up and her journey. But I'd like to go back just a little bit, if we can, Callie, and talk about the weight gain, weight loss journey. So you did play some sports in high school and as Mm -hmm. as a young adult, and then found yourself maybe in an unhealthy lifestyle for a while and you gained some weight. Would you be willing to share how much weight you gained? Yeah, I don't know how what I started at, but I've ended up losing 200, 200 pounds. I went from 377 to a little under 177 now. Wow, congratulations. So, that That is an amazing accomplishment. Thank you. Yeah, it took a lot of work, a lot of learnings, a lot of failure, but the journey was definitely worth it. Now, we've got all types of listeners on this podcast who are listening in right now. We've got endurance athletes, people that have done it all, down to people who haven't done anything. And maybe are interested in, but they're, they're, maybe they're worried about, you know, how this is going to impact them, how they're going to be able to do this. Are they going to be able to do this? And so I, I love talking to somebody who has gone on this journey that you have, because I think it's inspirational and it, it gives uh, hope uh, to other people. And so if you could, I know you talked about, it sounded like you started with baby steps, right? Mm-hmm. You, just, you started with small stuff, making your own breakfast for yourself for, for two mm-hmm. weeks and then escalating from there. Take us through how long this process started and how did you stick to it? Because there are so many people who start trying to kick a habit, whatever it may be, and they just don't have the ability to stick with it. How were you able to stick with it? Yeah, the attempt to solidify a healthy lifestyle, it started back in high school. It started back when my mom was like, we could sign up for Weight Watchers if you want to, or we can go to the, I think it was called Curves Gym. It's like the women only gym and and see if that works. But nothing really worked because, and that that doesn't even scratch the surface. I've tried a 21 day fix. I've tried a, a keto diet. I've tried all of these, I guess you could say extreme diets or, or diets that just aren't meant to be for the rest of your life. And I think that was the flip that switched is finding something that I could do and see myself doing and continuing for the rest of my life. And that's ultimately become a more balanced approach with eating. I don't have cheat days anymore like I used to. I don't uh, weigh my food like I used to. It just, it really just started with making one meal and that became, that was my breakfast and making a healthier breakfast than what I was used to eating. And what I was used to eating was eating out three times a day. And each time was probably the meal of two people. And I would eat until it hurt. Basically. Um, I think there's like a funny saying, you eat until you hate yourself. And that was me all the time. <laughs> but I, I, it, it was this combo of, of running and then also changing my diet where running made me so much more aware of what the foods that were I was putting into my body were doing or how they made me feel. I felt like picking up running and changing the the diet, it just it made me so much more aware of my my body and 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 what was what felt right or what felt wrong. And that ultimately became a more balanced eating approach, but it took a long time. There were a lot of failures. Like I said, I tried every diet and then, yeah, I did a lot of research too. As soon as that, that flip was switched, I did so much research, research into the value of food. Like why do I eat broccoli versus French fries? Or why is a fiber and a sugar considered a carb? I went down a rabbit hole of just figuring out, okay, we've got these nutrition facts panels on every food. What does this really mean? What is this really telling me? What do I need to pay attention to? What's bad? What's good? And what does bad and good mean? That probably in itself took six months. And I've still am learning new things today on the power of food or or what I like to call like the superpower of food, if you let it be. And I don't know, I I feel like I've, I've finally, maybe over the last year and a half have found an eating style that just works for me. And it's basically a I would say an intuitive eating style. Like I said, I don't weigh anything anymore. I just eat something. And once I'm feeling like I'm full, I stop. And I think a lot of it is because of my love for running. I used to run to eat in the very beginning stages, but now I eat to run because I want to feel good when I'm running and also when I'm not running versus before it was like, I don't really care how I feel when I'm running but when I'm done with this run, I'm going to stuff my face. 
Yeah, I've, I've gone also just opposite ends of the spectrum too, where I would, like I said, eat too much. And then there was a time where I was eating way too little, eat, running, you know, about 10 miles a day and eating maybe 900 calories, which I'm not good at math, but that's not good. And so I got, that got into a really bad spot where I, I pretty much destroyed my metabolic system. It just, it wasn't working. And so then I just, I, I started gaining weight again, even though I was eating this healthy lifestyle or healthy balanced menu of foods. And it was because I did so much damage to what my body was trying to do, which was keep me, keep me alive. And that took some time to bounce back from, but I feel like I'm finally in a good place now. And a lot of that is due also to having a coach and a coach to not only help me with my, my running schedule, but also fueling. Whereas before I would go on these runs and I wouldn't eat a thing during the entire thing. And that would be four or five hours or so of running. And that also did some damage. So there's been a lot of learnings along the way, but I would say the overall weight loss journey that probably took a little over a year and a half, which is very fast to lose 200 pounds. But that's like I said, because I went down more towards the opposite end of the spectrum where I I wasn't eating enough, but I was doing extreme amounts of exercise. Um, But there's been a lot of learning along the way. So you went down the rabbit hole, you've learned a lot. Can you just briefly maybe summarize or give a piece of advice to maybe someone who's listening in who is interested in the the same journey? Can they learn from your mistakes? What what would you say to that person? I would say because everyone's going to be different and whatever eating style they like. Some people like to have a big breakfast, small lunch, big dinner. Some people like to have a small breakfast, big lunch, small dinner. And then also the types of foods. I would say just as general advice, it would be good advice to follow is whatever a new approach to your eating is, imagine you doing that for the rest of your life. And if you can't see yourself doing that for the rest of your life, then I would say it's probably not sustainable. If you're doing something just to lose 50 pounds or doing something just to fit into something you can do that with the the diet or the eating style that you want to go after that goal with. But then once you reach that goal, then what's next? And that, that was always where I failed is because I would do this kind of yo diet, as they say. You, you lose weight, then you gain more. You lose weight, then you gain more. It wasn't until I, I figured out that I have to do something that I could see myself doing for the rest of my life. So I would say go into whatever new approach you want to go with that filter. That is a great piece of advice. The rest of your life. Can you see yourself doing it for the rest of your life? I used to do something very similar. It would be restrict carb restriction for, mm. the, for the six six to eight weeks after Super Bowl because my oh. philosophy was going into Super Bowl. You're going to eat at Super Bowl, right? And, you're, oh, yeah. and before that, you've got Christmas. You're going to eat at Christmas, all, all the holiday yeah. stuff. And before that, you got Thanksgiving. But you know what? Let's just put a time frame on it. Let's Light do it, it out the, the Super Bowl. That's right. Get to Super Bowl and then... <laughs> No carbs after Super Bowl for eight weeks. And it was a roller coaster. It was it was up and down. I would lose weight very quickly. Yeah. It would be great for those. It would be tough for those eight weeks, but I felt great afterwards. Yeah. And, and then I'd work my way back up again and start the whole process over again. And again, yeah. like you said, it's it not that's not the healthiest way to do it. And I'm also, I've done some running. I've done four marathons. And uh-huh. I, I love the way you described this. You used to run to eat and now you eat to run. I think I'm still in the run to eat phase. I don't get me wrong. I was on my run today and towards the end of it, I was like, Oh, I cannot wait to have this for breakfast. And then I'm going to have this for a snack. Like I still look forward to things that I just, I think of it now and that, okay, I'm going to eat those things and it's going to be great. Cause then it's going to fuel me for my two hour run tomorrow that I have to do. So it's, I guess it's a balance now. I'm a Libra, so everything's balanced, but it's a balance now of yes, run to eat, but also eat to run. I don't know. No, <laughs> I, with a Oh. <laughs> yes, I also, is that a food metaphor? Yeah, also, I, I have a feeling that you maybe have the same mindset as me, and that is if someone is out there thinking, you know what, I, I'm looking out there on the trails, I'm looking out there in the races, and people don't look like me. I, and so that makes me hesitant to go out. And my, my, my thought on that is that the outdoors belong to everybody. Mm-hmm. I, don't care, I don't care what your background is, where you're from, what your political stance is, what you look like. Uh, it's there for everybody. And mm-hmm. so I think body inclusivity is very important. 
hundred percent. Yeah. I hear that all the time from people who uh, either comment with a question or say, oh man, I want to get into ultra running, but I feel like I don't belong. And it just breaks my heart because it's, I, I say the same thing. Running is for everybody, but it, that's great. The outdoors, the whole outdoors, the indoors too, but the outdoors, I know you think that being on trails, it's for only the fit people who are on a mission, but no, it's really, it's for everybody. It doesn't matter your age, your ability, your nationality, uh, your size, body type, it doesn't matter. It, it truly is for everybody because everybody has different goals when they go into the outdoors. And I think everyone's entitled to whatever goal you want to have when you go outside. And I know and it, it's, it's still changed. It's still a thing now, but way more back then they, for specifically for a runner, there was a runner type. There was a the body type of the runner and it was portrayed in advertising it was portrayed in commercials and it's getting better today, but it's still there. It's still prevalent. And it just makes people, the people who who follow me feel like they don't belong. And so that's been my mission lately is to advocate for the people who don't feel like they belong because of this, that, or the other, but really everyone belongs because why not? I always say we're riding this floating rock with who I, who knows how much time left. So just go out there and have fun because all the rules are made up. So why not? Well stated. And running like hiking, there are so many different uh, levels to it. Mm -hmm. You could go out for a day hike. You go out for, you can run around your block. You can do a, a hike like the John Muir Trail, 200 miles, mm -hmm. right? Several days, a few weeks to all the way to hiking from Mexico to Canada. There's so many different ways you can level up and just expand the experience. Same thing with running from around the block to a, a 5K to a 10K, half marathon, full marathon to what you're doing, 200 plus mm -hmm. miles. There's just a lot of uh, expansion available in that. And let, let's talk about running now for a bit. Let's talk about how you decided to run your first marathon and take us through that, You know what you prep for it, what you thought when you got to the line and how you felt when you finished. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Let's just start there. <laughs> but so on this journey of upping my mileage and the curiosity to see how far I can go and find that limit for myself. One day, like I said, I went out and did a half marathon, 13.1 miles. Cause that's what I heard a half marathon was. And I wanted to see if I could do it. And I did. And that's when I uh, ran to eat. So I went home and I had the biggest stack of pancakes and it was delightful and wonderful. And I was sore, but it didn't matter. But it was very shortly after that, I was standing on the L platform back in Chicago. And it was, I think the week of the Chicago marathon and the front cover, they were talking about it. And I was just like, there's absolutely no way I could run a marathon. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I have to run a marathon. And so I did some research on how to get in. And it's one of those races that is very hard to get into. You usually have to enter a lottery. Um, but I found this running group called Team Paws, which is a part of Paw Chicago, a no-kill animal shelter in Chicago um, that has charity bibs you can get if you raise money. And so that's what I did. I was on Team Paws for my first uh, and second, I think, Chicago Marathon. But um, training-wise, I had no coach. I, I picked up you know, only what I read online. And then eventually, I think I have the book here. Um, I picked up Hal Higdon's book, which is just everyone gets it when they, you know, want to run their first marathon. And it's a great, it's got everything you need to know in that book, I will say. And so I picked up a training plan. It was like marathon trans plan for beginners. And I was like, that's me. And so I followed it to a T. It had, I think it was a five month training plan maybe. But so I stuck yeah, around there. And so I, I stuck to it and I didn't matter if my body hurt that day. I, if it said 18 miles, I was doing 18 miles and I get to the starting line. And that was my first race. This was my first race I'd ever signed up for. I never did a 5k race, 10k half. And I remember getting my race bib at the expo the day before and just being like, how do I put this on? <laughs> And I remember standing in the corral on race day. Am I dressed right? I had no idea if I'm pretty sure I had cotton socks. I had cotton pants on. I had sunglasses that kind of like it didn't, no idea what I was doing. And I didn't, I probably had just a small handheld water bottle with nothing really in it. Absolutely no idea, no idea what I was doing, but I finished it and it hurt, but I don't know. It, it lit a fire that was already starting to burn inside me. It lit it even more. And the curiosity just con continued on to see how much farther I could go. And it was shortly after that, that I realized that people were running hundred miles on trails without sleeping. And then 
I thought my I thought it was capped at 26.2 miles. Apparently not. Just kept going. Onward and upward. Yeah, some people would think, I think the majority of people think that 26.2 miles is too far to run. Then there's a, level, a layer of wrong. people. There's a layer of people who think, okay, 26.2, that, that's a good distance. And then yeah. there's a very small percentage of people who say 26.2 that is just not nearly far enough. We, we need that's to go. That's a training run. That's a training run. That's right. And so <laughs> how and why did you move from 26.2 to now doing the Moab 240? Mm, yeah. Shortly after Chicago Marathon, I was in the doctor's office waiting. They had a runner's world on the table. And I opened it up and they were talking about the Western States 100 mile ultra marathon, which is like the most prestigious 100 mile in our country. And like I was saying, I was just dumbfounded that people were running a hundred miles and not just like a hundred miles on pavement where it's nice, smooth and buttery, but on trails in the mountains at altitude without sleeping. And I was just like, I thought I was a superhero doing a marathon. These, these bitches are out here. I don't know what they're doing or what got into them or what kind of superhero they are. But I was immediately intrigued because, like I said, growing up, I loved being outside. I loved being in the dirt. And then it felt two of my loves were combining together, running and being outside, like advertising, writing, art, and psychology. Of course, I had to learn more. I did my first 50-mile race, which wasn't on trail. And that hurt because it was on pavement. (laughs) But I did that. And then shortly after that, signed up for 100 mile. I've had this double or nothing theme going for a while now. And so I signed up for 100 mile. I do that. And then that's where I thought it really stopped. Like I thought marathon was already stopped and then 100 mile. And I was like, okay, that's as far as the, the body goes. And then I find out about the Tahoe 200 miler up in by Lake Tahoe. And I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. People are going 200 miles now, <laughs> multiple days. And so of course I was intrigued. And I signed up for the Tahoe 200 back in 2020, but it was canceled. Signed up for it again, 2021, canceled because of fires. And then I was like, you know what? Screw it. We're going bigger. I hear there's the Moab 240 race. And so originally I had signed up for the Cocodona 250 in 2022, I think. Yeah. Last, I don't know what time it is. (laughs) Some year. And I get to one mile 131 and I had to drop because of medical issues, but I was luckily already signed up for the Moab 240 at last October, last, yeah, last October. And I did it. I, it took 109 hours. I slept eight hours total. So two hour naps each day, but I just chugged along. And like I said, I did a lot of hiking in that mostly because I'm a terrible trail runner. I'm very clumsy. I like to say that I'm a newborn giraffe on trail. I'm 5'10", so I'm taller uh, than most people. And I'm, I don't, I still don't know how to use my limbs. So I go very slow because I'm very prone to tripping and falling. (laughs) Yeah, we did it. So just found another possible trail name for the episode. (laughs) Doubling down with Callie Vinson. Right, because yeah, like this it. this whole twenty five to fifty to one hundred now to two hundred. Is there a five hundred mile race next for you? They're, they do exist, but I don't know if I can take that much time off work. <laughs> That's my issue. <laughs> so two hundred and forty miles in one hundred and nine hours with mm-hmm. eight hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. So I would get to so in ultra marathons are aid stations, and um, during two hundred mile races, the aid stations are usually farther apart in a marathon an aid station might be every three miles um in a 100 mile race it might be every seven to 12 and a 200 it's every 20 probably and so i'd get to i think in that race there were five spots where i could see my crew and in four of those spots i think i took a nap in the back of my car i have a forerunner and we put like a bedding back there and all my little snacks on the side. And that's where I car camp anyway. So that was like home whenever I would get in my car. And I was so afraid because I'm terrible at napping. If I nap it, it, it it's a four hour nap, which is sleeping. <laughs> so I never nap. I probably haven't napped in a very long time, but I went into this race, like, okay, we're going to figure out how to nap again. And so I got into night one where it was time to lay down close your eyes. And lo and behold, I fell asleep right away. I was so tired. I fell asleep for two hours and my crew wakes me up and they're like, okay, let's get going again. 
God damn it. Okay, let's go. And then it's funny because when, when you're doing that day after day, I tell people who are also interested in these long distance races that every day feels like Groundhog's Day. You wake up and you're in this, you're trapped. You have to keep doing this again and again. You go a long distance and then you get back to your camp area. You wake up and you do it again. And you just do that again until you get to the finish and you can get out of the simulation. <laughs> but it's a beautiful simulation. Life-changing. It is. Now, 109 hours with only eight hours of sleep. Any hallucinations out there? So, I don't think I truly hallucinated. And there's a medical term because one of my pacers, she's a doctor, and she said, what's actually happening is this phrase. And I forgot what she said, but it makes total sense. It's like, God, I'm going to totally butcher it, but it's been like object incorrect. I don't know. But anyway, what's happening is your brain is so tired that it's not hallucinating something. It's just recalling the first thing it can see and think of. So that looks like a Yeti. It's going to say that's a Yeti in your brain. That looks like a spaceship. That's going to be a spaceship in your brain. And that's exactly what happened in this race. I saw lots of abominable snowmans for some reason. I did. I swear to God, there's a spaceship out there. It's huge too. I found it on a map. I found it on the map in Moab. I'm going to go back and I'm going to find it one day. But I I don't think I ever truly hallucinated, but I definitely saw things where I was like, that's something that should not be there. But it was never too bad. Now, have you heard of Carol Sabe? Carl Sabe? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Badass. Just said the Mm -hmm. PCT, FKT. He finished in the, he was a finisher in the Barclays this year, but last year in the Barclays, he ended up asking directions from a trash can. He was talking to a trash can, (laughs) trying to get back on trail. That sounds about right. He swore he was talking to somebody, but it was actually a, a trash can. I can't even imagine being that far gone to look at a trash can and be like, that person's going to talk back to me. (laughs) This person will have the information that I need. Yeah. Yeah. Now, have you, have you heard of the Barclays? Oh yeah. And have you applied? Hell no. (laughs) That's only a hundred, that's only a hundred miles. No, that's not, that, mm -mm. that's a whole other, that's another level, like a hundred levels up. I, I, I know a couple people who have gotten into it, who figured out first how to apply, because that's an obstacle in itself. Um, and then you not only have to apply, but you have to have some pretty hefty credentials to get into. And I don't know. I don't know if I have those on my resume, but I know a couple of people have, who have gotten into it and they were like, this was unreal. And they're tough people. They're very tough people who will endure torture. <laughs> And they were like, I, no. <laughs> yeah. I've talked to a number of people who've, been, who've done the Barkley. Jamil Corey. I talked to uh, Jeff Garmeyer. Yeah. Talked to two of the three finishers last year. Talked to a finisher from a year previous who had helped. He was. John Kelly. He was helping John Kelly. Oh. It was John Fega. Fega, oh, Fega yeah. He lives in Flagstaff. Yeah. 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 And. He ran Western States and Hard Rock this year. Badass. Total yeah. badass. But yeah, Barkley takes these world-class athletes and just chews them up and spits them out. Mike Wardian, I also talked to Mike Wardian, who gave oh, yeah. it a try. A and, but I think I, it's not 100 levels up for you, Callie. I think it's, I think it's the next level for you. Oh, oh. <laughs> that much climbing. Oh, and it's cold. Oh. I can't do cold weather stuff. But if you put me in the bad water 135, I'd be just fine. <laughs> Okay. Now let's talk about what's next for Callie. You've got a big challenge coming up. What, tell us about mm-hmm. it. So I'm going after a 250-mile FKT attempt here in the Valley. It's it's a pretty low-key thing and that not a lot of people, it's not like a well-known route, but it's definitely one that hits close to home because it is here. The trail's five miles away. And yeah, I've tried going after an FKT before and things got in the way that I couldn't go after it. But this is one of the first times where it's like it lined up with my training schedule. It lines up with timeline. It, I, it's, I'm doing it over Thanksgiving weekend, so I already have the days off. And I've been able to do some recon on it lately now that we've been back in Phoenix to get a scope of the full uh, trail section by section, see where some hiccups might be, see which route or which direction I want to go and where my start finish line. Cause it is a complete loop. 
but yeah, this will be my, my second 200 plus mile, uh, attempt hopefully. And I went back and forth on whether I want to do this supported or unsupported. I originally thought I was going to do it unsupported, but just so many people reached out saying, I want to be a part of this. And the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? I want this to be an opportunity for the trail running community to come together, to show what this community is about. I don't want this thing to be about me and me only. I want it to be about community. Cause I think that's so special about any outdoor community or any outdoor sport or um, activity. It's the community that makes it. So uh, supported and unsupported supported. You can have people uh, there with you, providing you assistance mm-hmm. and food and, unsupported you'd have to do it all by yourself not even stop in a store on the way and pick something which up. is practically impossible here because there's no water sources to get water from and to be able to carry that much water i don't even know what that would weigh but <laughs> you'd be carrying a, a 20 gallon drum on your back uh, hard pass yeah 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 if you could do if you could do unsupported of the maricopa you could certainly do the barkley Oh yeah, hundred percent. Right. <laughs> it's in the bag. When is this attempt taking place? So I'm gonna do it over Thanksgiving weekend because I've I've already got the days off, and I was like, yeah, I don't really celebrate Thanksgiving, so might as well. Okay, we wish you the best of luck in that attempt, and we want to hear about it when you're finished. Yes, okay. <laughs> absolutely. Callie, you know where we are right now? I don't. I don't. Know. Saturday. Saturday. <laughs> yes, that's the correct answer. But also. Hiking Hacks. Hiking Hacks. It's time for you to share some outdoor adventure wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. What do you have for them? Outdoor Hacks. Hmm. Trail running hack, maybe? Trail running hack. Tips and tricks? I'm I'm such a terrible trail runner. (laughs) I'm trying to think of something good that maybe if not... You know, someone has brought up before emergency blankets. I hope everyone's packing those in their pack because you really, especially when you're doing mountain stuff, you just never know when a mountain weather is going to change. I was just in a serious situation recently, actually, where uh, I was trying to do the tallest peak and I did in, in New Mexico. And I get to the top and it had been a sunny day. I went out early, the rule, get up and below tree line before noon. And it was probably like 10, 30 a.m. I was up at the top. And all of a sudden I hear this buzzing noise, but I'm not sure what it is. And then I look at the lady in front of me and her hair is standing straight up. And then I realize this buzzing noise that I'm hearing are my poles conducting electricity at the top of this mountain. So I've never ran off a mountain so fast in my life. So maybe a good hack is to know when lightning is in the vicinity because shortly after that lightning struck hail wind, the whole shebang and it was probably the most terrifying moment of my life wow wow and i was thinking about the emergency blanket we talked about superpowers earlier and mm-hmm. i think you should just tie that around your neck and run with it like you know, you've got a cape going so <laughs> hey why not yeah okay so there you have it. We're just about done here. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Callie. We want to thank her for coming on this week. Callie, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? I would say the best place is probably on my Instagram channel. And the handle is Callie Vinson with two N's at the end. So pretty simple. That makes sense. All right. Remember to check out Hiker Trash Radio on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. No TikTok, Callie? I only use it for observation sake. <laughs> well, well put. Consistently. And if you have comments or clips you want to share with me, you can send it to me at hikertrashradio at gmail.com. Off the beaten path. Now, unfortunately, we can't always be on the trail. And when we're not, we need to find a way to get our adventure fixed. Callie, I'm going to ask you to share some outdoor adventure media with our listeners to help them get by. This could be a book, a movie, documentary, uh, we call this segment Off the Beaten Path. Any recommendations? Mm, I don't know. Sometimes I go down a rabbit hole of all these 100-mile documentaries on YouTube. So if you just type in 100-mile marathon, you'll see some pretty inspiring stories there. And I think, I don't know, that's motivation for me to get outside is to just hear about other people's stories of enduring something that was really tough and felt impossible, but they got it done. Okay. Just type that into the YouTube search bar and see what pops up. 
have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? What do we miss today? Ooh. Mm. I don't know. You already asked about my dog, and that's really all I care about. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I have a boyfriend. I also care about him. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you clarified. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty simple. I like running. I like being creative, and I like being outside. As long as I have those things, I'm pretty low-key and laid back. Okay. And sparkling water. I need lots of sparkling water. So, Lots of sparkling water. Is that what's in your water containers when you're out running? Oh, man, I wish. <laughs> but those things would explode probably with the amount that they move. Though I will, I always have, this is funny, I always have an emergency sparkling water in my console in my car. For some reason, the inside of that console does not get hot. And if I'm desperate for water, I've always got a nice LaCroix just waiting in there if I absolutely need it. And I've definitely taken that opportunity many times. Yeah, it's like a cooler, right? I, yeah. I, I have found the same thing with my center console. I'll have a drink, drink in, there, in there. I forget about it and I pull it out. And it's nice and cool. I know. It's yeah. the greatest thing. I, know. I wish there was a way to keep it even more simulated or insulated, but that'll do. Okay. Oh, someone's awake from there now. All right. It looks, let me get the name. Cloudy Brown is stirring in the background. So we better wrap this up. So we are <laughs> finished. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. We wish you the very best in your attempt on the Maricopa Loop Trail coming up here. And uh, before we exit today, do you have any shout outs to friends and family? Shout out to my boyfriend who's not here. He's in Boston right now, but him and I are both ultra marathoners and he's the front of the pack runner and I'm the back of a pack runner. So we kind of <laughs> balance each other out. And then my family back in Georgia. Okay. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if the Bigfoot and the spaceship on the trail would not provide you with food or directions. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.